Today we engage the next post-resurrection encounter between Jesus and the disciples. It is away from Jerusalem. It is near the Sea of Galilee on the beach. And seven of the disciples have decided to go fishing. You can note the picture of the fresco that is on the front of the bulletin and get a sense of that, although I've noted that there's a disciple missing in the fresco. But in that scene, which you will not read, are the disciples in the boat and Peter discovering Jesus is on the shore and he is stripped down, it says. And he decides that he needs to run and see Jesus. He swims out. But before he jumps into the water, he puts on his clothes. Now that's an interesting humor in the text. But I'm sure there's a theological reason for it as well. But we pick the text up after the breakfast between Jesus and the disciples. When Jesus is alone with Peter. And maybe the beloved John is off to the side as he often is watching what goes on. And so we read in verse 15, chapter 21 of John. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, then feed my lambs. A second time, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Jesus said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said it to him a third time. Do you love me? And he said to Jesus, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And Jesus went on to say, very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. Jesus said this to indicate what kind of a death by which he would glorify God. And after this, Jesus said to him, follow me. But Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, that is John, following them. He was the one who had reclined next to Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? And Jesus said to Peter, <clears throat> if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Follow me. This is the word of the Lord. Well, Lord, help us now to be discerning of what you are saying through the word that has been prepared for us from ancient times. That we might 
love you and follow you and be led to where you want us to go. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You know that axiom of love, I love you just the way you are, implied with all your flaws, mistakes, confusions, and some other things we won't mention. But I love you too much to leave you that way. Well, now think about that. If that's what your spouse says to you or that's what your parent says to you, uh, there's a part of us that says, you ain't going to change me. And there is resistance in us to think that somebody else would have the audacity to try to improve who we are. But deep down inside, we know we need improvement. We know we need to change. And maybe we hope that God, in God's good time, will help us to make those changes. But we do know that the art of love is the process of being with a person in this kind of mystical way of watching them as they are and seeing them transform over a period of time to becoming a more fully human person. The John's Gospel is not meant to be a diagram. It is meant to be a painting. It is like art, both simple and complex. It's the big picture with the finer details. In the text where the disciples catch a large amount of fish because Jesus tells them to fish in another place, it says that they caught 153 big fish. That's the kind of detail the Gospel of John has, but it's not in the idea that you can somehow grasp hold that 153 and make an engineering axiom out of it. No. It is to give you the feeling that someone was paying attention to everything that was going on, which was the nature of John the Beloved. It is a text that's written in simple Greek. When we study Greek in seminary, they give us the Gospel of John because it is the simplest Greek. No one wants to read Paul because that is legal Greek. And you know what happens in the fine print of the Apostle Paul. And so John is this wonderful, simple, coiny Greek. But don't be duped. It is simple to the point of so much complexity you can lose yourself in it. It is an artistic work. It has a family sound to it. Even in this text, my little children, Jesus says to the disciples as they're out fishing. The Gospel of John is about love and forgiveness and restoration. It is a gospel of intimacy, according to Earl Palmer, a fellow Presbyterian pastor. It is full of artistry and relationship and presence and friendship and simplicity and depth and emotion and challenge. And it ends with this profound conversation that's pretty simple. Do you love me? You know I do, Lord. Three times. Can it get any simpler than that?
And that's the question that Jesus asks us, do you love me? And of course, our response is, Lord, you know that I love you. But he has to ask it a few times because of what's gone on in Peter's life. Remember Peter when he committed to Jesus and said, I will never deny you, I will never uh, disown you, did it three times. And the last time he did it, he did it with an affirmation of curses. And we can only surmise what those curses were. Hell no, I don't know that guy. Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? And Peter is grieved. But deep down inside, Peter knows that he has betrayed Jesus. He has denied Jesus. He has not measured up. And so the Gospel of John meets us in our self-awareness that we don't measure up according to our own hopes and expectations. Jesus invites Peter into a much deeper relationship. But he doesn't demand that he change. Now, Peter, you can't follow me unless you stop denying me. Peter, you can't follow me unless you become a person of perfection. Peter, you can't follow me unless you get it all right. No, Peter, with all of your foibles, with all of your troubles, with all of your double-mindedness, with everything that's wrong about you, follow me. Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. Jesus shows Peter extensive love and forgiveness without judgment, condemnation, or trying to manipulate and guilt him into being a different kind of a person. Because we all know that really doesn't work. John points out that following Jesus in Peter's way is a deep emotional attachment. It is a yearning to have a close relationship with this person who's probably going to move on into heaven. It is a sense of deep grief and emotional connection. And somehow, quietly, in Peter's own mind, he's probably wondering, where is this taking me? Where is Jesus guiding me to go? And then Jesus says to him, you know, Peter, as you follow me, there'll be a point in your life where somebody takes hold of you, takes you prisoner, and leads you to a place where you're going to die. So Peter gets just a hint that even though it may not be his desire and his current pattern of life, he's going to learn to be the person who's willing to lay down his life for Jesus as Jesus laid down his life for him. Love invites and embraces us where we're at and then nurtures us to a place where we wouldn't normally want to go. But somehow the persuasion of God and the presence of Jesus and the tending and nurturing of the Holy Spirit helps us to begin to do things that we never thought we would do. Sacrificial things. To become people we never thought we might become. I'm a fan of Emily Dickinson poems. 
And one of the things I love about Emily Dickinson is the absolute simplicity of her poetry. They're nice, tight, small, poetic statements. But boy, are they dense and complicated. She's got to be the most complicated poet I've ever read. A simple poem called, I'm Wife. I'm wife, she says. I finished that, that other state. I'm czar, I'm woman now. It's safer so how odd the girl's life looks behind the soft eclipse. I think that earth seems so to those in heaven now. This being comfort then, what other kind was pain? But why compare? I'm wife. Stop there. Dickinson was never married. I don't think she could or would have been married because she was such an independent, self-determined woman that she on her own account said on numerous occasions, I don't think I need a man, nor do I think a man wants me. For sure, she thought herself as the czar of her own womanhood and not dependent upon a man in a time when that was just antisocial. And so she had a vision of who God had called her to be and would not settle for something less than. Now that's a longer conversation in our artistic time to talk about the role of women, isn't it? But I would affirm this. Love beckons women and men to become everything God has created and called them to be, including Peter. Love calls us beyond our roles, beyond the expectations and social and cultural patterns to what God wants us to be. Now, in this particular text, there's been quite a historic difference about the word love. Even I, in these past week Bible studies, have tried to exegete the different Greek words for love, of which there are two here, and have joined with hundreds of other people, preachers and scholars over the years, to say, well, there is a very different articulation in these two different words, and I still believe that, but I was reading one of the, the commentators that I highly respect, and he was looking at all that comment around Greek words and love, and he said, poppycock. Don't get lost in the details of the word love. Look at the big picture. And what is the big picture here? That love from Jesus invites Peter to be forgiven, to be restored, and to follow him into an unknown future where he will do what he is not inclined to do right now, and that is lay down his life for his relationship to Jesus. John the Gospel is about the art of love. It's about the subtleties of love. It's about the beginnings and extremities of love. A love that forgives and restores. That meets Peter in his grief 
and his shame. It's a love that embraces. It's a love that also challenges. God will not leave us the way we are, even though God will meet us clearly on our own terms. But God will invite us to go way beyond that. The challenge is always connected to the invitation to be a person of service to other people. Do you love me? Yes. Then feed my lambs. Do you love me? Yes. Then tend my sheep. Do you love me? Yes. Then feed my sheep. In other words, look out for other people. The temptation for Peter was to look out for himself. Even at the end when he is talking with Jesus, he turns and he says, well, Jesus, I know you're going to lead me to death, but what about, what about the younger guy, the, the John beloved guy? What are you going to do with him? Peter just can't let it go. Even in that moment of intimacy, he has to be comparing himself to other disciples. Recently, there have been new books about Steve McQueen, the actor who was very popular in the 60s and 70s. You may be a Steve McQueen fan, that famous wild chase scene in Bullet that brings out the visceral qualities of a lot of men I know. He was considered a great actor with piercing blue eyes, he was called the king of cool. That chiseled face, that kind of offhand disposition, that humble yet defiant di pattern of life. He was a loner, he was troubled, and he was looking for a father, according to Norman Jewison, the director. Steve McQueen pretty much had what he wanted in life. And he became more and more addicted to the stuff of it. To the point that toward the end of his film career, he was literally a broken man and pat in strong patterns of addiction in his life. About that time, he decided to move away from Malibu and Hollywood, and he and his wife decided to live up in Santa Paula. And he bought a little biplane and took some flying lessons. The teaching pilot was named Sammy Mason, and Sammy Mason was kind of like Steve McQueen, except that he was a quiet follower of Jesus. He was cranky and grumpy, but he really cared. That ought to be a help for the cranky and grumpy people in the room, by the way. They shared some long hours in the air. And then over a period of time, McQueen noted something significantly different than he had experienced in Hollywood from Mason. And he asked him one day, what is it about you? You're, you're just not like the other people that I know. And Mason told him about his faith in Jesus Christ. And over a period of time, McQueen began to pay careful attention in his own life to what he was hearing Mason became kind of an older brother 
semi-father to him. And if there's one thing significantly missing in McQueen's life was a loving, present father, for he had been through several abusive stepfathers whom his mother had married. He'd pretty much decided that male leadership was bad and probably led to his defiance and lonership. But Mason convinced him there was another way. And when he heard it was Jesus, he said, I think I'll try that, and went to church with Mason. Can you imagine Steve McQueen in church? He showed up in a little church in Ventura and sat in the balcony. Is there a Steve McQueen up there today? Yeah, there's a hand. I see that hand. And the long story short is he gave his life to follow Jesus. In the last two years of his life, he dramatically changed. And he began to take on a whole different kind of persona. One of the desires he had in life before he died was to meet Billy Graham. And it was not too long after that that he was diagnosed with mesothelioma cancer. As you know, that's incurable and deadly. And as he was being treated for that, he finally had a chance to meet Billy Graham, who set aside some time to talk with him in a hospital room. And McQueen had said, you know, I've lost my Bible. I don't really have a Bible to read it. And Billy decided, well, you can have mine, and literally gave him his Bible that he had in his hands with his name Billy Graham on it signed it over to him with this verse in Philippians 1. And I am sure of this, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in Jesus Christ. That's what the love of God does. It doesn't let us go. In all of our messiness, in all of our complexity, in all of our defiance and refusal, in all of our denial, if we're Peter, in all of our obnoxiousness, and self-determination. God's love will hold on to us, invite us to follow, and help us to change to where we become people who feed others. We become people who look out for others. And that's pretty much the description of Steve McQueen's life in the last two years. He moved from being very self-oriented to really caring about other people and serving other people. He died with the Bible on his chest of a heart attack after a surgery. In the end, Jesus will lead us where we don't want to go. But Jesus helps us to want to go there. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we deeply want to love you and to care for other people. Sometimes we just don't know how. Help us in our confusion, our independence, our defiance to begin to get it right and to show the love that you have for us to others. Through Christ we pray. Amen.